When I was very little, somewhere between two and four years old, my mother asked me if I wanted to have some of my storybooks on tape. She knew I loved books and loved listening to children's tales. And she thought I'd appreciate having those stories to listen to any time I wanted to do so. We had a cassette recorder, so my mom would spend a few hours in my sister's room as my sister and I played downstairs, and she would read these books from cover to cover, recording herself in the process. She figured they would be with me whenever I needed them. I could listen to them as I played with my action figures and my toys in my den, or I could listen to a story before going to bed at night. My mom recorded biographies on historical figures like Abraham Lincoln. She read from movie adaptations like E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and Annie. And she read Disney-related books like The Aristocats and The Fox and the Hound. But my favorites were the stories she recorded from the Star Wars film trilogy. I must have played those tapes almost to the point of wearing them out. I remember listening to them laying on the floor of my den, with the words she spoke running through my mind like a reel through a projector. I focused on what she recorded, and the scenes and characters came to life with the help of a healthy imagination. And I remember rewinding aside until the button popped up, letting me know that the tape had reached the beginning. I'd press play, and as my mom's voice would fill the room, I'd play with my toys or draw or write, absorbing the scenes as she spoke them into existence. Those tapes were a true gift, an act of love for my mother that had a profound impact on me. About a month ago, during the time of the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, I was doing some spring cleaning in my storage unit and came across a large group of my old cassette tapes. I decided to spend a few weeks digitizing their contents before they were forever lost to time. And those tapes my mom had made for me all those decades ago were so special that I kept every single one. And when I replayed The Return of the Jedi tape, it brought me back to a wonderful time of childhood joy and exploration of the adventure George Lucas set forth unto the world. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the leaders of the Rebel Alliance were gathering to plan the next move in their battle against the evil Galactic Empire. The Rebels had been fighting the Empire and its cruel leader for a long time. They were trying to win freedom for all the world the Empire oppressed, but they were badly outnumbered. Led by Luke Skywalker, a heroic pilot, they had destroyed the Empire's biggest weapon, an armored battle station called the Death Star. This is a continuation of the celebration of 40 years of the magic of Return of the Jedi. This is a collection of stories and memories from growing up in the era of Star Wars. This is the mystery of the blacked-out Ewoks, the first purchase of a budding collector, and the unforgettable taste of a Jedi cookie. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production.
From Coruscant to Tatooine and every planet in between. Star Wars, prototypes and production with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, Have you listened to the two-part episode celebrating the 40th anniversary of Star Wars yet? If you haven't, I truly recommend them. Episode 134 of the podcast is called Return of the Jedi's 40th Anniversary. Star Wars fans recount their movie memories. I had asked a number of my friends and fellow Star Wars fans to share memories of seeing the film and what the Jedi experience meant to them. And for episode number 135, titled Star Wars Fans Celebrate the Epic Collectibles, many of those same fans talked about growing up with the toys and the memorabilia from the final film of the trilogy. Their stories were heartfelt and funny, touching and connective, and captured the excitement all of us have felt from being a part of the era of Star Wars. And the two episodes gave me a fuller appreciation for the film and the toys, and reminded me of how special Return of the Jedi truly was and is. After I released both episodes, however, I felt the pangs of regret. I realized I had missed an opportunity to be a part of the episodes beyond being their host. I regretted not joining in the proverbial campfire and sharing a Return of the Jedi story of my own. Because like you, I have a lot of them. Return of the Jedi was the first Star Wars film I saw in the theater, where I had an understanding of the franchise and the figures before it was released. The film was a fitting and exciting end to the trilogy, and I had gotten to experience it firsthand. I remember finding out there would be a third movie after seeing its title and a sneak preview for some of the figures. I remember anticipating its release, even though I was too young to have any idea of a proper time frame. From walking into my local Child World or Toys R Us with my mom, and walking out with a blue saber Luke Jedi, to staring at the back of the card, introduced at once to an all-new wave of figures connected to the film, and wondering who they were within the Star Wars universe. There were birthdays and Christmases in which Return of the Jedi was the focus. The Ewok Village, the Jabba the Hutt playset, and even the Milton Bradley card game in its slim silver box, they became mementos of a time in which Star Wars was the center of my world. Some of those moments are vivid holograms of different family members, in homes that were as magical for me as a trip to Disney World. The toys and memorabilia stretched my imagination across a galaxy, and for which I'm eternally thankful to have had those days. I will never forget running through my grandparents' wooded backyard dressed as Luke Skywalker in his Jedi Knight outfit, or sitting on the floor of my den arranging my Kenner figures and playsets as I prepared for the next adventure for Luke, Leia, Lando, Han, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2. And so, even though a month has passed since the 40th anniversary, I wanted to take one more episode to celebrate Return of the Jedi with you. 
I'd like to share some of my memories, things I remember from that time period that shaped my love of Star Wars. And coming full circle, I'd like to begin by telling you about my most recent pickup, one very personal to me and directly connected to Return of the Jedi. So if you have some time now, let's walk back through the decades together and let's reflect on 40 years of Return of the Jedi, one more time through stories and memories. With a low whistle, R2 projected his hologram of Luke. The ten-foot-tall image faced Jabba and said, I am Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, and friend of Captain Solo. I wish to meet with your greatness to bargain for his life. As a token of my goodwill, I give you these two droids as a gift. His image disappeared. For the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, I added an immensely special item to my collection. As with most purchases, I didn't plan for this to happen. I wasn't targeting anything related to the film for the Jedi's 40th. Being a collector, though, I like to mark personal milestones with something that would encapsulate that moment for years and for decades to come. So when I got my first major job, I bought myself an elegant but understated watch, with a smaller face and a black leather strap. In my early days of collecting, I would treat myself to a meaningful purchase for my birthday. I remember finally getting my first Luke Stormtrooper figure in 2012 and picking up a Luke Bespin on a Jedi card the next year. This year, the anniversary of when Return of the Jedi swept into theaters 40 years ago fell on a Thursday, leading into the Memorial Day weekend. And growing up as a child of the 80s, there was one Jedi book that is as connected to my love for Star Wars as both the films and the figures. It's called the Monster Activity Book. Published by Happy House, it was released in 1983, the same year the film premiered. The Activity Book had a slate blue cover. It bore the Return of the Jedi logo in thin black letters and featured an oversized image of the already massive Jabba the Hutt. The activity book resembled a coloring book, with its black and white interior pages. But instead of solely having images to color, it presented wildly different but equally creative activities on each page. In this pre-internet world of the 1980s, where the majority of the images we had from the films were the ones we replayed over and over in our minds, an activity book gave young Star Wars fans the opportunity to take part in the playground George Lucas developed. The activities were created by James Razzie, and Daniel Kirk illustrated each page. The opening page reflected the image on the cover. But Kirk had turned the close-up of Jabba's face into a craggy maze to be explored and completed. On the next page, connecting the dots transformed the fuzzy shape into which Luke was falling, into the clawed talons of the Rancor. Some of the more imagination-stirring designs still impress me to this day. Do you remember the large, furry-fanged creature called Jaquil? 
He was one of the denizens of Jabba's palace, and his most recognizable feature was his sharp lower teeth, which earned him the nickname Toothface. One of the activities gave participants the ability to create a Toothface puppet. As the instructions demonstrated, you could color and cut out the upper half of Toothface's head and glue it to a still-folded paper bag. And then you'd cut out the lower part of the jaw and glue it under the fold of the upside-down paper bag. Putting your hand inside, it would form a movable mouth and you'd have your very own Toothface puppet. I began to collect the artwork for the book a few years ago, as some of the original pages and layout boards surfaced. The Monster Activity book meant so much to me. It was the intersection where the films ended and the opportunity to continue the galactic tales began. For a child, the book brought home a piece of the magic first sparked by Star Wars, and allowed young fans to venture through the world of Return of the Jedi in a way that went beyond the toys or anything else available at the time. I remember being fascinated by one of the activities in which I cut out the top and bottom of a life-size Bib Fortuna hand, glued them together, and put the combined image on the surface of a bowl of water. Within minutes, the fingers began to curl, and for a moment, Bib Fortuna's hand came to life in front of my eyes. One of my favorite drawings from the book was from page 16. Titled Monster Munchies, it offered a recipe for crunchy cookies, notable for its addition of lightly crushed cornflakes into the mix. The image above the recipe was of Yak Face and the three-eyed Rees, sitting on the floor together, devouring a hearty plate of the cookies. I love the Rees Kenner action figure, and seeing him sitting with another alien from Jabba's palace and taking a cookie break together always reminded me of the friendships that came from a shared love of Star Wars. And so a few days before Return of the Jedi's 40th, my friend Pete LaRose contacted me. He had a few pages of original hand-drawn artwork from the book and wanted to know if I was interested in them. And one of the pages was of the two creatures sharing cookies. I had known about this image for a while. It had been very high on my wish list, but at the time I first saw it, the one-of-a-kind artwork had been out of my price range. Pete was raising funds for a large purchase and reached out to me, giving me a very kind deal for it. I couldn't turn it down and immediately agreed to purchase it. In addition to symbolizing the childhood friendships made through Star Wars, this image also came to represent the newer friendships I've made over the past decade as an adult. And more specifically, it symbolized my friendship with Pete. Friendships in our hobby often grow in a deep way, especially as we travel to collectors' homes together or attend toy show weekends and conventions as a group. And what begins as enthusiasts sharing a passion for the Star Wars films and collectibles quickly morphs into lifelong friendships in which we celebrate life's high points together and walk through the tougher seasons together as well. The night before the 40th, Pete contacted me and asked me if I wanted to visit him that weekend and shop the Stormville Flea Market with him. The Stormville Flea Market is a massive outdoor antique and collectible event that takes place on a former airport runway tarmac. The flea market is held twice a year, on Memorial Day weekend in the spring and on Labor Day weekend in the fall. 
The last time I had walked the tarmac in search of toys was in 2019 at the Empire State Club Collectors event known as the Annual. So the weekend was spent with a dear friend, getting a meal together at an Irish pub and catching up on life, and then hitting the Stormville flea market very early the next day. I was able to pick up the artwork in person from Pete, which was an added bonus. And as special as that Monster Munchies artwork is to me, it is even more meaningful now. It not only encapsulated a great weekend in upstate New York, but it also marks 40 years of vibrant wonder blazed by Return of the Jedi. Han and Leia struggled as the guards surrounded them. I'll pay you triple, Han shouted. Jabba, you've given up a fortune. Don't be a fool. But the guards led him away. Another guard came to take Leia away. She betrayed no emotion when she saw his face. It was Lando Calrissian in disguise. Wait, Jabba called. Bring her to me. Leia and Lando stopped. Lando looked worried. I'll be all right, Leia whispered. Lando glanced at Jabba. I'm not so sure, he replied, but there was nothing they could do. They hovered like two spectral shadows against a yellow backdrop. Opaque blotches of negative space jutted out at angles and rounded at others, surrounded by soft, fuzzy outlines. The blotch on the left was taller and vaguely cone-shaped, with protruding shadow-like feet and a triangular form that suggested the existence of a left arm. The one to the right of it was shorter in stature but wider, It resembled the silhouette of a hand softly cupped, palm facing upward. The presence of the two blacked-out blobs was made all the more eerie and mysterious by the 63 plastic figures that filled the five rows around them. This was the back of the blister card showcasing the Kenner's 65 action figures available in 1983 and included the first character offering from the final film in the Star Wars trilogy. The rest of the figures were colorful and defined, and while some of the characters were unknown at that point, the photo displaying them gave us a clear idea of their upcoming appearances in Return of the Jedi. Each had a number beneath it that corresponded with a list of names below the image. The bottom row where the black shadows sat premiered the newest figures to the Kenner line. Number one at the far left was an alien named Weequay, with a rust-colored head and a long braid that fell across his left shoulder. Next to him was number two, Rees, a three-eyed creature with a pink face and hands, a dark brown jumpsuit, and lighter-toned boots. The gray-bearded, gray-outfitted General Maydeen was next at number three, followed by Lando Calrissian in what was described as a skiff-guard disguise. A variation of a stormtrooper known as a biker scout was at number five. A staff-wielding, robed figure named Bib Fortuna was number six. A rebel fighter that wouldn't look out of place in a G.I. Joe cartoon was the seventh, and a bulky, green-skinned monster with a pig face and an axe called the Gamorian Guard was the eighth. Number nine was the first ghostly outline. 
It was impossible to tell what it was or to get an idea what it looked like behind the shadow, but it was named Logre the Ewok Medicine Man. The shorter blob was named Chief Chirpa. I did not know what a Logre was. I didn't know what made Chief Chirpa a chief. The word Ewok was as foreign to me as anything else in that row of new figures. But I desperately wanted to know more, and fast. Those blacked-out spots on the card back were just as fascinating as those within the Return of the Jedi lineup. There was the idea that they could be anything. And even at that age, I knew there was a reason that the toy company wanted those two figures to remain hidden. Something special was behind that surprise. Return of the Jedi was not only the first Star Wars film I was aware of before it was released, but it was likely the first movie I anticipated seeing. It came at a point in which I was consciously aware that it did not yet exist, that I had experienced a time before Jedi. But it was also the first time I knew that the movie was on its way and that new toys would appear at my local Toys R Us and Child World, which were heavenly havens I would visit frequently. I remember first seeing this lineup and being utterly captivated. I was three or four years old, and although the memory is as fuzzy around the edges as the silhouettes, I believe an image in a Kenner toy catalog first heralded the fact to me that there was a new Star Wars film coming soon. I can't remember if it was truly a catalog, But the feeling of learning about the new film, as well as the arrival of a new series of toys, was overwhelming in the best possible way. That feeling has stayed with me for decades, and it burns as freshly as it did in the first half of the 1980s. In an early Return of the Jedi catalog, one entire page was blacked out. It was a door I desperately wanted to open, but did not have the key. Nobody did. That it was top secret brought a feeling of anxiety and excitement, and sent my imagination racing. In that blackness was a diagonal banner proclaiming the future release as NEW in all caps, highlighted by an exclamation mark. And in white letters in the center of the blacked-out page was a note stating, Due to the secrecy of these characters in Return of the Jedi, we are unable to visually display the toy counterpart until the film release. Text to the side of the blackened rectangle described the Ewoks as a cross between a Wookiee and a Jawa, and gave us three more names, Wicket W. Warwick, Wily, and Nippet. Today, the online realm has answers to almost any question, which can be retrieved in a matter of seconds. But 40 years ago, in the early 1980s, there was no widely available internet, no social media, and very little available coverage of Star Wars news. And for a child of the 80s, the emergence of a film like Return of the Jedi, or of the Kenner action figures, could be sudden and without any advance notice. One minute, Star Wars is two films. And the next minute, there is a third and final chapter to the story. One day you visit your local toy store and the aisle is packed with Empire Strikes Back figures. The next week, the Return of the Jedi logo suddenly graces many of the products on store shelves. 
something new was on its way, and the blacked-out figures signaled something special was coming to a galaxy near you. He began to search for her with Han, Chewie, and the droids, but Leia had already been found. As she slowly awakened after a fall, she saw a fuzzy little alien face with big brown eyes peering into her own. Leia sat up, groaning. The tiny creature leaped back, holding up his spear. His name was Wicket, and he was an Ewok. The Ewoks lived on Endor. They were afraid of humans because the Imperial troops had killed many of their tribe. Hey, I won't hurt you, Leia called. She shook her head to clear it and got to her feet. She ached all over. I think I got off at a good time, she said, circling the twisted wreckage of her bike. You don't happen to have a comrade, do you, she asked Wicked with a rueful smile. The creature followed her like a puppy, seeming more curious than afraid now. Do you remember the last Kenner figure you ever purchased or received while they were still available in stores? For those of us who were into Star Wars during the era of the original trilogy, there came a point in which a figure, vehicle, or playset we brought home was our final one. There were many reasons for this occurrence. We either shifted our focus toward other toy lines, or we lost interest after the trilogy concluded taking with it the possibility of further Star Wars stories. Or we entered the age in which, for many of us, girls became more captivating than any piece of plastic. I remember a 77-back Tebow figure from Return of the Jedi being the last figure my parents purchased for me. I have a memory of sitting in the back seat of my mother's car, looking at it and patiently waiting until I got home to open it so I wouldn't accidentally lose the staff or the headpiece he wore. And I concluded that Tebow was the last carded action figure I received because I have no memories of getting any other carded figures bearing the Return of the Jedi logo after that day. And Tebow may or may not be the last carded figure purchased at the toy store. After all, the passing of decades can blur the edges of what seemed for a time to be the most vivid of memories. But I know that little Ewok was not the last Star Wars item I ever received in the 80s. In fact, it isn't even technically the final Star Wars figure I proudly took home with me. That honor belongs to the Return of the Jedi Jabba's Dungeon playset. My Aunt Dolores, whom my sister and I affectionately call Dee Dee, took me to a mall in Long Island during one of my regular visits to my grandparents' home. While we toured the mall, she allowed me to wander into KB Toy and Hobby, which was a staple of many indoor shopping centers on the East Coast. I know it was sometime between 1985 and 1987, and I know I was at the tail end of my time playing with Star Wars action figures. My aunt has always been so kind to me, and she would always let me pick out a toy to bring home whenever we went to a store. I remember walking up to a white, thin-wired bin toward the front of the store that held batches of the Jabba's Dungeon playset. The playset was a reworked version of the 1979 Droid Factory, with a base that contained a ramp and a set of stairs molded into it, along with places to display your figures. 
It also came with an upside-down L-shaped crane from which you could lift unsuspecting droids by their feet. Jabba's dungeon playset premiered as a Sears exclusive during the Christmas season of 1983. It contained three Return of the Jedi figures, the slender white droid 8D8, Klaatu and Skiff guard outfit, and Nikto. The playset was reissued a year later for the holiday season, but this time contained three new figures, ones from beyond the Return of the Jedi line. The names on the box were in bold black letters against a white circle with a light blue outline. It announced a bronze-colored torture droid named EV-99, a green-skinned creature who looked like a skiff pirate and was named Barada, and a reptilian alien named Amanaman, who held a long three-pronged staff with skulls hanging from it. The figures would later be released separately in the 1985 Power of the Force line, but at the time, the playset still bore the Return of the Jedi logo. Both editions of the playset were exclusives to Sears, but somehow the overstock had made its way to KB stores. The reissue originally sold for $13.99 at Sears, but had been offered for $9.99 at KB. And as I stood in that KB store, holding a playset featuring three figures I had never seen before, I knew I had to get it. The arrival of new figures was always exciting for Star Wars fans, and I knew that none of these three had been on any of the cardbacks up to that point. Fortunately, the sets were clearance to $2.99, which made it even more appealing. And my aunt took one look at the price tag as I excitedly flashed the box in front of her face and immediately brought it to the register. I took it home and played with it, examining the figures and setting them up as I recreated the dungeon sequence I remembered from the film. I remember playing with it multiple times over the next few weeks, but in the back of my mind, I knew my time with Star Wars toys was coming to an end. Eventually, I had packed away the playset, but made sure to protect the figures, especially the EV-99 and the Amanaman, since they were so much larger than the average Star Wars character. And I kept the playset intact and in the box, with all of the parts and paperwork included. The Jabba's Dungeon will always be a special piece because it was a gift from my aunt, and it also signifies the last Kenner Star Wars item I ever received at retail during the original trilogy's run. I wonder who they've found to pull that off, Leia whispered. The job of shutting down the energy shield would be even more dangerous than attacking the Death Star itself. General Solo called, him, called the Admiral. Is your strike team ready? Leia looked at Han, stunned and then suddenly very proud. He'd become a different person since his rescue but she had never expected that he would volunteer for such a dangerous and important mission. My rebel fighting squad is ready, Han said, but I need a command crew for my shuttle. In less than a minute, Chewbacca and Leia had volunteered. They were joined by Luke, who had just returned from Dagobah. 3PO and R2 made the crew complete. R2 beeped his excitement to 3PO. I don't think exciting is the right word, 3PO said nervously.
I've recently realized that a lot of the Star Wars memories I have from my early childhood occurred at my grandparents' home in Bayshore, New York. I spent so much time in Long Island, those winter days running around outside their seemingly endless yard in my snowsuit, playing in the snow with my sister, or burning my restless energy on those humid summer nights on their brick-walled back patio, as my family sat around the picnic tables talking until midnight, as the fireflies pulsed with light and the insects hummed in the distance. I have a few core memories tied to Return of the Jedi that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. They are happy moments, ones that capture the breezy days of childhood, ones that crackle with an excitement for life through the lens of Star Wars. I remember sitting on the olive swivel chairs in their kitchen with my sister, watching the little television by the table while the breeze from the open windows swept through the house. And during that time, my grandparents and my aunt would bring home boxes of Return of the Jedi Pepperidge Farm cookies. My sister and I would munch on the chocolate, peanut butter, and vanilla wafers while we talked and laughed together, spinning around on chairs until we were dizzy. On the cookie boxes, the Return of the Jedi logo was nowhere to be found. Instead, the words Star Wars were in a trapezoidal shape on top of one another a throwback to an early logo design for the first film. The cookies were special because they depicted 15 of the characters from the film, displaying the bust of each one and featuring a nameplate at the chest. And there were five unique characters for each of the three flavors. Darth Vader adorned the chocolate cookie box, which contained the five Imperial forces, Vader, Gamorrean Guard, Emperor's Royal Guard, Bib Fortuna, and Jabba the Hutt. Although I preferred the taste of the chocolate ones, my family usually purchased the vanilla cookies because the box had a picture of Luke in his Jedi Knight outfit. And with Luke being my favorite character of the Star Wars universe, I never objected. The vanilla boxes contained the Rebel Alliance 1 team, consisting of Luke, Princess Leia, Yoda, Wicket, and Han Solo. I remember digging into the vanilla boxes and eating all of the Luke cookies first. Not that they tasted any different than the others, but just the sight of Luke Jedi on an edible wafer made it that much more special to a child who is only slightly taller than the kitchen table. The peanut butter cookie box featured the Rebel Alliance 2 set, Admiral Akbar, Chewbacca, C-3PO, R2-D2, and oddly enough, Max Rebo. And R2-D2 was the only character whose full droid body and legs were displayed on the cookie. They were certainly not the best cookies I ever had, but I believe the fact that they had my beloved characters from Return of the Jedi on them made them even more delicious. The Pepperidge Farm cookies were only available for a short time, but I will never forget those evenings, spinning on those olive chairs and laughing with my sister, while devouring cookie after space cookie. The Emperor is expecting you, the Dark Lord said. He believes you will turn to the dark side. I know, Father. Luke searched for some glimpse of a face behind Vader's mask. His heart was beating very fast. So you have finally accepted the truth. Luke nodded. I have accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me, Vader said. It is the name of your true self, Luke insisted. You have only forgotten I know there is good in you. That is why you couldn't kill me. 
That is why you won't take me to the emperor now. Come away with me, father. He moved closer to Vader. You must have good news, he thought, but how can I? The first carded figure I purchased as a collector was from Return of the Jedi. It was likely the summer of 1992. I was in middle school, and reading Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire earlier in the year reignited my interest in Star Wars. Up until 1986 or 1987, I played with the action figures, and they had been my all-time favorite toys. The franchise had shaped my formative years. Entering the final years of elementary school, I had reached an age in which boys stopped playing with toys. Instead, I had shifted my focus to comics, poring over some of the Batman and Spider-Man classics, while acquiring a sizable collection along the way. I also developed an obsession for Nintendo and the video games of the 1980s, and spent countless hours hunting mushrooms and potions, battling Bowser and Ganon, and saving Princess Peach and Zelda. But a friend gave me his extra copy of Heir to the Empire, and at once, everything I had loved about the era of the original trilogy came rushing back to me. Feeling a renewed passion to explore the remnants of my childhood, I raided the crawl space in my basement sometime in 1991, and rediscovered the Kenner toys. My time spent as a comic book collector showed me the importance of condition and preservation, and it helped me to see my toys in a new light. My passion for playing with them as a child had been reborn through collecting them as a burgeoning teen. Viewing my collection through that lens gave the items a fuller purpose and a new meaning, and justified my adolescent desire to keep these action figures and playsets in my life. And with new stories being written in best-selling books, I could remain enveloped in the continuing saga of the Star Wars universe. It had been an exciting time, this period of rediscovery, but it was hampered by two obstacles. The first was availability. While comics and sports cards were readily available at a number of local shops, I could not find the Star Wars figures anywhere. My friend and I resorted to walking from house to house through our neighborhood, knocking on doors and asking the residents if they had any Star Wars toys their children no longer wanted or needed. It was fruitless, and the only other Star Wars fan we found who thought like us was a classmate who had a considerable collection of figures. We traded them from time to time. I had gained an elusive blue snaggletooth, but I somehow had my childhood EV-99 disappear from my collection, never again to be found. I shared my love for Star Wars with my music teacher, who recalled owning some of the figures. He said he would try to find them, and if successful... He would give them to me. I woke up early for school the next four days out of pure anticipation. But before the weekend, he broke the news to me that he had likely thrown them out or that his wife had already passed them on to somebody else. My search for more of the toys I loved had stagnated. While Zahn's novel ushered in a resurgence in excitement for Star Wars, I had no idea if anyone else collected the action figures or had an interest in them. I didn't realize that there were others like me who saw these items as something meaningful and special, ones that deserved to be collected and appreciated for their impact and design. 
It wasn't until the summer of 1992 that a flyer pointed me in the right direction. It was shortly after my grandfather had passed away, and I was staying with my grandmother and aunt for two weeks in Long Island. My aunt came home with a flyer promoting an upcoming Star Wars toy show. It was taking place at a Jewish synagogue on a Sunday, when it would otherwise be closed. And it was happening that week. I had never been to any kind of collectible show before. Even with collecting comics and sports cards, my experience was limited to stores and indoor flea markets. I had no idea what to expect, but was terribly excited. If I had envisioned myself as a Star Wars collector previously, attending this show would solidify that idea even further. My aunt dropped me off and gave me a few hours to explore the basement of the synagogue by myself. That morsel of freedom, to be on my own around the collectibles I wholeheartedly sought, gave me a rush I had rarely experienced to that point. The basement was dimly lit, but bustled with a cramped commotion. People ambled from vendor to vendor, inspecting each one's offerings, as the chorus of multiple conversations swelled and contracted. It was too overwhelming to process in that moment. I was seeing a full line of figures, 1985's Power of the Force collection, for the first time, never knowing they existed before that moment. Carrying a mere $53 in my wallet, I could not afford the Luke Stormtrooper or the Han Carbonite that captured my attention for most of the time I was at the show. But I was able to pick up a bagged Luke Hoth figure and a complete Luke Jedi, each costing $5. Still, more than anything, I had wanted a carded figure. I wanted a figure still sealed as I had received them in the early 1980s before I gleefully tore each one open and happily added each figure to my Darth Vader case. My aunt came to pick me up a few hours later. On our way out, she inquired with the promoter about any other toy shows. The promoter mentioned one that was happening that same day, at a large expo center in town, but was ending shortly. My aunt and I hurried to her car, and she kindly took me to that larger show. We walked through the expo center together, and I had never seen anything like it. Long glass cases and tables topped with toys from every line filled the room. I found a vendor who not only dealt exclusively in Star Wars figures, but who had carded examples in a two-tiered glass case. His prices were lower than the vendors at the synagogue. I spotted the one I wanted to purchase. It was a 77-back Darth Vader, one with the alternate photo of the Dark Lord pointing at the camera, instead of the usual full-bodied image of him wielding a lightsaber. The vendor had put a white circular sticker on the upper right corner of the card back, with a price of $27. It would cost me half of what I had in my wallet to start the day, and really, it was likely all of the money I had, as the rest was in a savings account but I knew it wouldn't go down in value and that the good items only rose in price over time. With limited funds, I had to make sure I made smart decisions and purchase figures that meant something to me. And I longed to have a carded Darth Vader. The figure was one of the first ones I had ever received when I was three years old. And now, almost a decade later, I would be honoring that moment that day that has become one of my most vivid and earliest memories with this purchase. My mother had purchased the first one for me, 
and this one I would be paying for with my own money as an official Star Wars collector. I paid the gentleman $27, thanked him, and carefully carried out my new Vader to the car as my aunt and I left the show. I gently placed it on the seat next to me on the ride home, adjusting it every time my aunt made a turn. Once we were back inside my grandmother's house, I brought it up to the room in which I was staying and laid it on the couch in front of me. I had found an advertisement for carded figures for sale in a comic magazine, and a Darth Vader similar to the one I now owned was priced at $45. I was very happy with my purchase, as I felt I had gotten it at a very good price. I did not want to keep the vendor's price sticker on it, though. It came off easily, but it hid something horrible. The original price tag, the one under the white one, had been ripped from the card, leaving a white wound and stripping the black litho surface. I was completely dejected. I had spent $27 on a mistake. I had let myself be fooled on my first major purchase as a Star Wars collector. It was one of those moments as we transition from children to young adults, that test of being able to make wise decisions that can remain with us for years. And in that moment, it swept my legs out from underneath me. I realized I didn't know enough, didn't know what to look for, and had learned a very hard lesson. When I got home, I put it in a comic box in my closet, laying the figure on its back so nothing would happen to it. My knee-jerk reaction was to sell it to try to get my money back. But over time, I grew to love this flawed item. My interest in collecting the Kenner toys waned, simply because I didn't have the funds, and I never saw any other figures for sale for years after that day in the summer of 1992. Those two toy shows were the only ones I ever attended, as I had never heard about another one again and didn't know how to search for ones in Long Island or near my home in New Jersey. The bubble yellowed over time, but other than that tear, my Darth Vader was in perfect condition. And in 2011, after having more disposable income and a renewed interest in exploring the Kenner line, I became a serious collector again. And as reading Heir to the Empire in 1991 propelled me to dig out my childhood toys... This decision as an adult caused me to dive back into my collection. And the first item I found waiting for me in my storage unit was that perfectly flawed carded Return of the Jedi 77 back Darth Vader, still on its back at the top of a comic box. The Millennium Falcon roared by the deflector shield, followed by enemy TIE fighters. Lando watched in disbelief as the Death Star destroyed the Star Cruiser. The shockwave from the explosion rocked his ship. That thing's operational, he said into his radio. We saw it, Admiral Akbar's voice answered grimly. All craft get ready to retreat. We can't face the Death Star. Han will get the shield down, Admiral Lando said. We can't give up and run yet. We've got to give him more time. Order our ships to move closer to the Imperial fleet. Then the Death Star can't fire at us without hitting their own ships.
So I was taking my daily bike ride and I've just finished and I stopped off at a gazebo overlooking a lake because I thought of one more story that I wanted to share with you that I thought was pretty interesting and was tied to Return of the Jedi. So it was 2017. I had gone to Celebration Orlando in Florida and it was the first time I had been to Celebration. I was really excited about it. I was really excited to go to room sales too because it was the first room sales experience I'd ever have. And I had heard so much about them and knew that some of the best stuff whether it was prototype pieces or production pieces, would show up. And so my friend and I had gotten there to the room sales, and he had left his phone in the car, um, so he had to go back out and get it. And he asked me if, if I would watch his items and my items. So I stood at the front of the room during the room sales, and I decided, you know, when I brought some stuff to sell, I might as well just put it out and start selling it while I was waiting for him. And it's one of the biggest regrets I have because it was great. I met a lot of people that way, but I did what I shouldn't have done. And I, I sat into one spot rather than go around and, and look and see what was there to do that first. So I set up. And um, after a while, I, I decided to take, finally take a lap. And I'm glad I did when I did, um, because the security, the hotel security came shortly after that and broke up the room sales. And so the last collection that I was looking through at that point um, belonged to somebody who I had just met very quickly, said hi to him. Um, he seemed like a really nice guy. And he had bags of modern Star Wars first shots and samples spread out on the floor. And so I started going through all of the bags. And at the time, I wasn't really collecting uh, prototypes. I had just started. Um, I was grabbing a few pieces that I liked, some that belonged to certain characters that connected with me from the different shows and films. And I was, I was hunting Plo Koon prototypes, and I managed to get two of them from him. And he wanted $60 each for these first shots. And they were colorful and beautiful. And I was glad to pay it and, um, and to make the deal with him. And I asked him if he had any other Ahsoka pieces, any Ahsoka first shots. And he said, sadly, no, that um, his daughter uh, was interested in the character. And maybe he had some in the past, but either they were gone or, you know, he just didn't have them. And then I came across this Luke Jedi figure. It was really fascinating. It was in sort of a, an orange peach color. And it came with a black cape, but it was so striking. And the seller wanted $100 for it. And at the time, I had just started collecting. And modern prototypes weren't, they weren't that expensive at the time. There wasn't a ton of interest in them. And I didn't know enough. Um, I, I also, I didn't know the seller. I knew very little about you know, questions of authenticity or anything concerning that. So I was happy to get the Plo Koons and I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll pay the $60 each for those and, and maybe at other time I'll look at the Luke Jedi. And when I got home, that was one of the first things I remember where I just, I really regretted not picking up that Luke Jedi figure. I didn't know if I'd ever see it again. I didn't know who the seller was. You know, I was really new to the community at the time. And so a number of months went by and, and it would just it always just kind of hung over my head as something that I wished I had picked up 
And, you know, I tried to go back to that moment in my mind to remember little fragments or something that would help me to maybe locate this person, but I couldn't, and I didn't know even how to describe him. Uh, we met so quickly, and then as I was looking through the stuff and, and really paying him for the, um, uh, the Plo Koon figures, all of a sudden the security came and, and they broke up the room cells. So I guess about four months or so went by, and I was home one day, and I was going to the gym one evening, and before I did, the thought hit me. I was part of the, the Prototype Exchange, which is a group on Facebook, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll just post asking about it, asking if anyone knows who that seller was, if they could remember seeing somebody who had bags of prototypes you know, scattered out on the floor in front of them. Um, and I think I even remembered where the seller was you know, in what corner of the room. And I thought, you know what, I'll just put it out there and you know, maybe down the road in the, in the far future somebody might have an answer and maybe that'll happen. And I think it was about 15 or 20 minutes Within that time, um, a few friends had connected me to the seller. The seller's name was Tim, and he and I have since become friends. But I reached out to him, and he said he still had the Luke Jedi first shot. And it was this beautiful first shot. I would say it was from 2004, uh, if I have that correct. Um, but again, just the beautiful colors, came with the cape. It just looked fantastic. And, um, and he said he would happily sell it to me. And, and then we became friends during that time. Um, he showed me more pieces that he had. He sent me pictures. And that really sparked my interest in modern prototypes. And I, I, I really started to develop a, um, I would say, a healthy obsession with them. You know, I became more excited um, by, by trying to figure out what was out there, you know, by learning about these pieces, what they were, what they represented, what part of the process they were. And it was that Luke Jedi that really, for me, in a lot of ways, kicked that off. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes we feel like we miss out on an opportunity and we think that that's our only shot. And I've learned with collecting that if you're in it long enough, if you're patient, if you get to know people, um, that things have a way of coming back to you, coming back around. Um, and what's really nice is uh, the friendship that I developed with Tim carried through the years um, and we've met at meetups together and we've, we've had meals together um, and, you know and, and I really you know have looked up to him as a mentor um, he has a phenomenal collection of vintage pre-production and modern pre-production and um, you know I just I've learned a lot from him and I'm, I'm glad to know him and so that Luke Jedi it's one of my favorite pieces and it probably will always be when it comes to modern prototypes um, simply because of who it represents as the character um, but also who it came from and uh, you know and the friendship that developed with another collector and also just you know the fact that it was kind of the kickoff to my my interest in collecting modern prototypes um, so I'm really happy to have that in my collection and uh, as I said in this middle of a 90-degree bike ride uh, around the July 4th weekend. I just wanted to share that, that last one with you. Um, I absolutely love that piece. And really, the message from that is to never give up, uh, and to keep hunting, and to connect with people as well, too, because it's more than just the pieces. It's, it's the experiences and the moments and the friendships that are connected to them. Um, and so that Luke Jedi will always represent that for me.
Luke looked at the emperor and back at his father. Then he made the choice that he had been preparing for all his life. He hurled the saber away. No, he said, I will never turn to the dark side. You have failed, your highness. I am a Jedi, as my father was before me. After four decades of Return of the Jedi, my love for the film and the collectibles it bore still burns brightly. The movie was a beautiful culmination of a trilogy that meant so much to so many of us. Seeing Luke Skywalker become a Jedi Knight and watching him sacrifice everything to save his father and the ones he loved has never left me. It wasn't a lightsaber that changed anything. It was love that won the battle for the Rebellion. It brought a balance back to the Force, and it did the impossible in defeating an impenetrable Emperor. The sequences of Return of the Jedi were magical. Roaming the darkened halls of Jabba's palace while the Rancor lurked below, standing with Luke on the plank of the skiff overlooking the gaping mouth of the Sarlacc pit, waiting for him to nod to R2-D2 before his lightsaber flew to him and the last part of the rescue plan was set into motion riding on speeder bikes through the forest moon of Endor while the Ewoks found a way to topple the Imperial walkers and the stormtroopers who chased them. Walking through the second Death Star and entering the Emperor's throne room, knowing the story was coming to a close. I will never forget finding out a third movie was on the horizon or seeing the figures for the first time in stores. I cherish the moments of spending time with my friends and family surrounded by the memorabilia that still radiates memories from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And even though we're beyond the 40th anniversary now, doesn't mean we're past the time to celebrate it. These moments of remembrance stoke those fires and keeps them lit. And while we all have the memories we hold dear from our personal experiences... Hearing other stories gives us a fuller perspective of the impact Return of the Jedi had on the world. So keep sharing your special moments with those around you. Use those stories to connect with other Star Wars fans, to bond over similar occurrences. And the different and more unique ones will help you to learn more about your friends and how they experienced Return of the Jedi over the decades. Star Wars has been a blessing in my life. And I'm thankful to the Lord for allowing me to be able to share these stories with you. And I'm forever thankful to my mom for recording the adaptation of Return of the Jedi nearly 40 years ago, which became part of the oxygen that filled the rooms of my childhood. Only Luke did not seem to feel the happiness the others shared. He gazed silently into the forest, unable to forget the loss and the pain he had suffered that day. He still wondered if there was something he could have done differently, or sooner, to help his father. He would always wonder, and he would never forget his father's face for as long as he lived. Leia came gently to his side. She took his hand and led him back to the others, back into the warm circle of their love. If you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend. You may brighten their week, or at the very least, give yourself another Star Wars topic to discuss with them in detail. 
And if someone helped make your Star Wars experience more impactful, reach out to them this week and let them know what they mean to you. Here's to another 40 years of Return of the Jedi. We'll keep celebrating the films and stories together on Star Wars Prototypes and Productions.